I want to define play as an attitude towards life. Nice. Because I, I think I play in my office all the time. So one is curious exploration, and the other is a disattachment from outcome. Like I'm playing for its own sake. This is Glenn Murphy with NC Systema, and this is Systema for Life. Howie, afternoon, how are you? Good, you? This might be the first one we've recorded in the afternoon. I think we usually would do these in the mornings, don't we? So this is a, this is a rarity. Oh, so we should take a nap for, for like two hours in the middle. Yeah, the chronobiology is going to really mess us up. So I think uh, we'll, we'll see how this one turns out. We might sound entirely too relaxed. <laughs> Not enough pep in the whole thing. We'll, we'll see what people say after this one. So how's your week been treating you? It's been pretty good. Uh -huh. um, You've been working a lot or what's been going on? Um, a lot of work. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of it has been kind of fun. So I have a, my new office and I set up a... Uh, oh, the power shed? The power shed. Awesome. The, yeah. I'm calling it Sun Studios. Okay. Because <laughs> of, of all the creativity that came out of the one in Memphis. Nice. Um, so I set up a, a handicap bar and I put mm -hmm. a, a camera arm on it. And so I have this camera. And whenever I get an idea, I just turn on the camera and I just make a video. And it's really fun. Wow, cool. Is that, is that mostly as an aid memoir? That's something that for yourself later on or is that no, videos these, that you actually send these, to people these go, these go out it's uh, you know these two two minute videos people really appreciate them yeah and, and you know I do enough of them and then they eventually turn into a book or something okay cool have you found that changing your environment has made you a little bit more creative or it's just given you some new Oh, completely. Routines. Yeah, completely. That was the whole idea, I guess. So <laughs> the expense and everything is justified then, I take it. Yeah. Yeah, right. No. Mm. Yeah, when, when, if, I, if I amortize the cost, yeah. uh, I, I better be a lot more productive right. <laughs> to pay for it this century. Cool. And you, we traveled a little bit lately. You went up to New Jersey. We um, get to hang out and have some fun up there? Or was yeah, it all I did. Yeah. I did. We, uh, we had you know, five interviews over five days, and the interview each took about half an hour. So the rest of the time was either driving or mm -hmm. doing other work or just you know, reconnecting with old friends. Nice. That's always good. And how about your, your Frisbee? I guess it's not ultimate Frisbee season right now, so you're just all it's into the all, running? It's always ultimate Frisbee season. Oh, it is? That's, oh, okay. that's why I moved to North Carolina. <laughs> yeah, okay. we had a practice on, uh, on uh, Sunday. Yeah. So a whole bunch of us came out. I'm on a, I'm on a 50 year and old, older team. Yeah. So like we were talking about, like on the sidelines, we used to talk about girls. Now we're talking about operations. Right. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <Lipid> panels. <laughs> right. Like, how's my LDL? So, yeah. Nice. So, so what do you think it is that's attracted you for so long to Ultimate Frisbee? Like still playing it at 50? You know, it's almost, I mean, you say it that way as... As if it's anathema to like most people. Like, what, what, by the time you're 50, you stop playing games like that, you know. Yeah. And I've heard other people say things like, um, like one of my other students, he's um, in his mid 40s. He's maybe just a couple of years older than me, and um, and he's trained Systema a bunch and really enjoyed it, and then tried to talk to his father about it, who's in like his 60s, I think, like 60s or maybe coming up for 70. And his dad was like, "Don't you think you're a bit old for all that?" Like, why are you doing like martial arts, like playing that's for, um, for like for kids, kind of thing like that? And there's this attitude that maybe when you get past a certain age, that you shouldn't play around anymore. What is it to mm. do you think that about ultimate frisbee that's kept you going with it? And, and why do you train Sistema if you look at that as a as yeah. a kind of as something to play as well? well yeah, because yeah, it's fun. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't. I could. I could go into other things, but that's the reason. The main reason. Like so, when I yeah. go for a run. Yeah. I occasionally, like, all right. So I haven't run this week because I did a fifty k last week. So this mm. morning I went out and the weather was getting kind of nice and I was like, ah, oh, this is great. Yeah. But most of the time, my runs are not like joyous celebrations of my spirit. Okay. They're like you know, fighting through and drudgery and not yeah. necessarily drudgery, but okay. just like that's how I think about running. Sorry, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm putting my views on tears. They're fun yeah. and they feel, I, I certainly feel good afterwards. Yeah. But there's still a little bit of like, okay, I have to make myself I have to do dig it. I have to dig in a little bit. Yeah. yeah. But like, you know, ultimate frisbee for me is like, you know, like eating chocolate cake. Like you don't have to like, oh, I got it. All right. I got to yeah. force myself. Like it's just, a, <laughs> it's just pleasurable to, to move around, to have a, a score, to not care about the score, mm. to, uh, to just, you know, there's no, as long as I don't get injured, there's no negative outcome of okay. any of the negative outcomes. Like okay. I could okay. lose, I could get, you know, completely toasted by somebody. Yeah. You know, in my, in my leagues, I'm playing against people in their 20s and yeah. up. So I'm, I'm frequently toasted. Yeah. Okay. But, but it doesn't, um, 
the fact that it's a competitive sport as well, that there is like a win-lose component that doesn't really rub off on you. It doesn't stress you out if you're losing a game or, you know, if, you, if you're doing not so well in the league and you have to get some points back. Yeah, it used to. Hmm. I would I would say I've matured in the last even two or three years. Yeah, because I'm I'm a, a captain in the, in the Carborough Fall and Spring leagues, and so I feel okay. responsible for my teams. Mm. And right. and as a kid, I was highly competitive. Yeah, like like obnoxiously so. Hmm. But I've gotten to the point. I think even just in the last few years. Hmm. Maybe even the last two. two. Okay. <laughs> He's like, all right, six months, fine. Six yeah. months. <laughs> Actually, it just happened when I walked in the door tonight. Where I'm like, you know what? It's like, it's fine. Like I'm playing, yeah. I'm playing for fun. Yeah. And it's interesting because I've, I've joined this team and this, this older over 50 team. I'm not one of the better players. Mm. on the team but I love playing so I, and I want to be yeah so there I've caught myself at tournaments and even at practices pushing myself too hard mm. because I'm trying to impress them yeah and like getting kind of upset and really like like turning it into a job yeah and there are people on the team who are very wise and they'll they'll like watch me and they'll say hey just just relax have fun you're good enough yeah and like those days are mm. just you know two hours of practice can just fly by in an instant right Okay, so so what you get out of ultimate that you don't get out of other forms of exercise, for example, um, what you get out of the spirit of play that you have while you're doing that. So I mean, you you run, but you don't really play when you run, right? You don't play with your stride, and you don't play with other. You, you're not if if you're competing against other people, it's not usually in a playful spirit. You're normally running against your own previous time or something, right? Yeah. So it hasn't got the same feel to it, right? When well, you're, races when you're, races are kind of playful. Are they? Well, yeah. Okay. Because yeah. so I'll see someone up ahead, and I'm like, "You're, yeah. my, you're mine." Okay. And then, and then sometimes they're not. <laughs> you know, okay. Sometimes they're yeah. moving faster than I am. But it, again, it doesn't bother you if, if you lose, or it doesn't bother you if you come in like fiftieth versus second or something like that. No, if it did, no. if it did, I would be. I wouldn't be running. I see. So it's an interesting thing. Um, maybe an obvious answer to this question, but are there plenty of people that play ultimate and plenty of people who run who don't have that playful spirit? Are there plenty of people who you see that aren't really treating it like an enjoyable game? They're not really playing with it, but it really does become like a job or a grind. They take it so seriously that they can't enjoy it when they lose. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, certainly at the elite ranks where there's, I mean, as soon as you add like, you know, money and trophies and sponsorships, yeah, it kind of changes everything. Okay. Uh, I think you know maybe except for like some really zen people. Yeah. Like when 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 there's money on the line or your career okay. on the line. Yeah. Um, I think you know you've got to take it more seriously. I yeah. Because you know there's a there's an interesting paradox because the less seriously I take it, the better I do. Right. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. And this is where um, this is where I want to kind of get into it as play relates to Sistema. and this was partly um, inspired by Emmanuel Manolakakis who was down here. Um, weekend before last teaching his seminar, which was mostly about kind of the process of training. And there was a lot of emphasis in there in that, yeah, we do work on ourselves. We do the necessary work. We do the breath work. We do the 10 minute push up holds. We do the, you know, working on movement and being aware of our bodies, which is kind of difficult and sometimes not very fun, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not the playful part of Sistema at all when you're doing those things. You can kind of make it that way. You can all be in a 10 minute push up and just kind of be trash talking and, you know, talking about things and trying to make each other laugh. So you can kind of turn it into a game where like you're going to fall first and I'm not or something like that. But it's it's not a very fun game, let's face it, right? It's not something we sign up for to do, you know, three yeah. times a week or play in our spare time a lot of the time. Um, so that's kind of the necessary work that we have to do before um, before the, the real training with other people comes in or the real fight or the real place where we have to use Sistema, right, comes in. There's necessary work we have to do. Um, and then there's also the development of control uh, the, the aspect that um i'm not playing here i'm going to win this altercation i'm not going to get damaged mm-hmm. i'm going to control you on the ground i'm going to control distance and timing so that you can't strike me um and then all the way up to what um emmanuel talked about in terms of the high levels which is influence where it's like i'm not even going to allow you to get into the position where you could hurt me or i'm not going to get give you the psychological firmament from which to start your argument right i'm going to kind of distract you or sidestep before you even get a chance to have a fight with me i'm going to give you nothing to rest upon um but somewhere in between those things 
was this huge bracket where we're where we're playing and we're learning, right? And and what came out of that weekend was that sometimes there's not enough of that playfulness that we want to skip straight from the right. I've done the work, I've trained, and now I should have skills to let's apply the skills so that I can control people and win mm. and influence and that kind of stuff. And that people are trying to do that, they're almost trying to jump to Vladimir levels of control and influence when they haven't really done. They might have done the work, they might have done a lot of the work, but they haven't done the necessary play. They haven't done that push pull with each other they haven't um, risked um just losing over and over and over again and getting themselves into positions where they're not advantageous and having to regain their structure and not really caring too much about winning every step along the way but playing the game for for the purpose of learning and growing and improving in all levels along with it and there's this whole space that has to be taken up in that and you have to kind of build that rapport even to be able to train safely with people so that you can move on to hard control and like more pressure and things like that and his emphasis was in like let's make sure we spend enough time doing that um otherwise you're just going to be trying to leapfrog into the skills that you don't have your body doesn't have them you might be able to kind of perform them like some sort of recital right like a dance recital or a, you know, as you sometimes see in other martial arts like a demo or something yeah. like that right but that's practically useless in terms so, of systema and it's not really systema and that you have to t- spend time in this space where you're both aware that there are rules here there's there's kind of boundaries to the game and you're not trying to dominate from the outset and you're even in some ways agreeing not to dominate somebody right you're agreeing that if if i win too much you're going to get disheartened and you're going to stop playing it's not going to be a fun game for you anymore so i agree not to win too much do you know what i mean that kind of space and he was emphasizing the necessity of this space and it's really got me thinking about um not only how to put more play into the classes and it's actually happening anyway um as a result of this mindset shift but also all the other places in our lives where this is important because i think we talk a lot about the benefits of play for kids and my wife is like a you know kindergarten teacher so she's constantly thinking about this in terms of education and we talk about the benefits of play and some people have even talked about it like the benefits of playfulness at work and we can get into that and stuff like that as well um but play for its own sake uh, is a so, different thing yeah. right think, so yeah. so what i want you to do now is define play because i think mm. we, when you started out by asking me about you know ultimate frisbee versus running sure like we can we think of like oh it's a game so i'm playing so sure. you know i don't i think you can play Monopoly, and I think mm. you can work Monopoly. Mm. Uh, True. So I don't think it's kind. Of, I think it's sort of what you bring to it. I would love to hear you define play mm. as opposed to other other forms of, of of relationship with with tasks. Yeah, that's. I mean, I, to be honest, I haven't looked up a formal definition of it, so I'm not drawing from any kind of psychological no. kind of uh, just like for, you dictionary know, you, on this you, or anything you, like you that. You have something in mind when you say play and playful. Yeah. So usually, if, if we're talking about play, then refer, we're specifically referring to something which could be construed as a game, right? First of all, like it's a, it's something that you can play, right? What you're treating as a mindset, the interaction between two people, as if it's sporting as if it's like something that can be won or lost or kind of jostled with do you know what i mean kind of in that sense and that, that rules out a whole bunch of interactions right away right um for the most part you don't normally treat for example uh funerals as games right mm-hmm. um, maybe the irish will treat the wake as a game in some mm-hmm. ways right in that kind of stuff like who can stop crying and get into the drinking and telling stories as soon as possible but there's certain kind of reams of life where you're like yeah this that's not a game we just have to get down to that right um to me, play is kind of the mindset in which two people agree on a set of parameters um, or a set of rules, right? And it might not be two people, it might be two sets of 11 people or two sets of five people, wherever it's going to be. Um, but there's this intersubjective reality that you're all agreeing on. So like, this is what we're going to call the game. This is what we agree the game is. And then we're both going to enter into this interaction with keeping that in mind the whole time. As soon as you lose that and you care more about... Um, I don't know, not embarrassing yourself or you care more about um, you know, causing somebody else pain or something like that, um, then you've kind of lost the spirit of the game, right? You, you, you're not, for the want of a better phrase, a good sport anymore. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of ties in, ties in with the idea that play for me is a mindset. It's something that you do with a, with a view to just kind of perpetuating the, the relationship or the interaction. Do, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, and I think some research that's been shown on, on this has been done with animals, like uh, with... Uh, Rats, for example, right? That they'll tussle around with each other and roll around like wolf cubs will or lion cubs or whatever. Um, and they'll kind of practice like moving around each other and biting and things like that. When one of them starts to win more than 70% of the time, the game stops. It's not a game anymore. It's I'm being beaten up by my older sibling or something, right? Mm. And so it's no longer a game. So you could say that play 
maintains itself as long as it's fun for both people. But I think in very loose terms, I think play is an activity which is bounded by this intersubjective reality of there are rules, we're both going to abide by them, and we're both going to do that for as long as is necessary to see kind of what happens as an outcome. We're not going to try to enforce our will on somebody else right away. And I know that can kind of, you could contradict that and say, but surely in a you know soccer game or like a, a darts game or something, you're trying to win like from the outset. And of course you are. But I think that can be... Um, that can be congruent with with play, and sometimes it's not. And I think the mindset for me is where it where yeah. it divides, not the the rules of the game itself. So what's coming to me is a book by James Kars called Finite and Infinite Games. Okay. And the idea is the finite game is the one where there's a score, mm. and the goal is to come out on top. So if, I'm, if we're playing tennis, sure, it's finite. When I hit the better shot that you can't return, I've mm. won. Okay. As opposed to a game of catch. Which is an mm. infinite game, mm. right? Which is we're we're just we're playing for the sake of continuing the play, and we yeah. play as long as it's fun. Okay, um, and I th I think you can do both. I think they're 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 inter they, you can interchange them. So I've I've played on on frisbee teams mm. where we're playing against our opponents, mm. but they're our friends because they're part. You know, they, sure. we've all drafted each other. Yeah, we're going to go out to drink later. Yeah. Um, We've, like, this happens all the time. We don't have enough women on one team, so some of the women from one team will play on the other team. Like it becomes sure. very confusing if you're like yeah. uh, addicted to a, an ego identity mm. winning. Like, mm. oh, I just played. I just played against my team. Mm. Did I win or did I lose? Mm. Uh, so I think that, you know, there's there's something about and the boundedness of mm. the game is important that. The, the game doesn't include me injuring you sure. or you injuring me or me humiliating you. Or in ultimate, you can't um, just run with the Frisbee, like holding it in both hands, right? So the, 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 those rules, paradoxical as it might seem, are what actually establishes the game, right? And when somebody breaks the rules, like, oh, you're not playing the game anymore, right? So it's, yeah. you have to have rules and boundaries for it to be a game. That's, that's one key yeah. characteristic of play, I think. It's like we agree. And in animals, I mean, I would argue that probably in nature and biology and animals other than us, right, there probably aren't any finite games. That, like they don't probably count the number of bites and see who wins, right? The, the play just goes on and on, yeah. and on and on and on and on and it stops when somebody stops wanting to play and that's it, right? So they're, they're probably all in that, by that definition, infinite games, right? And finite mm -hmm. games are almost certainly a homo sapien invention, right? We can almost almost certainly say that. Maybe dolphins have one we don't know about right? or something like that. But it looks like infinite play when a dolphin is like flicking things around or a killer whale is like throwing seals up in the air just because it can or something, right? It's not counting the seals or trying to get it to do a triple backflip before it lands, probably, right? So we're probably talking about that all animals have that infinite play and that capacity for like, let's just do this for the hell of it and keep it going. But the finite play is a human invention and that's that, that's the only place where I see ga games and play crossing over into things that aren't fun anymore do you know mm, what I mean like yeah. Camping, so, yeah. yeah well I was um, a gym teacher for, for a lot of years I didn't know that huh? yeah, yeah. Uh, I was a small Quaker school so I was an everything teacher <laughs> so we'd, we'd go out we'd do gym and mm. you know especially like lunchtime the kids would want to divide up into teams and play soccer yeah and we the, the fights and the arguments sure. You know, was the ball out? Did it go in? We, you know, we didn't have, uh, you know, we had like two cones mm. as the goal for a sure. long time. So yeah. there was you know, plenty of arguments about whether it was a score or not, whether yeah. it was a handball or not. Sure. And we had, eventually we had to like have them all take a pledge mm. um, every day before they went out to play. I'm okay losing today. Mm. <laughs> like to understand like the point of the game is for everybody to be enriched by it. There you and, go. And, not, yeah. and, and if you're not willing to be enriched by being on the bottom side of the score, yeah. then you shouldn't be playing. Right. Okay. That's, that's an important thing. I and mean, you could use that tagline almost, you know, for Systema, the same thing. It's like mm. it, when everybody comes in, you should be like, I'm okay losing today, right? Mm. That, you would actually be better and you would learn faster in Systema if you, if you had that mantra every single time when you came <laughs> in, right? You would definitely learn more versus the people that you see who can't lose under any circumstances. And so they're not playing. They're not allowing playfulness to be, be a part of their training. And they're missing out on that critical element and that space in, within which you can grow and learn, right? And so, so that's an interesting, so segueing onto kids, right? Usually when we talk about play and the benefits of play, about 90% of the time, if you see an article on it or a news piece or something like that, it's usually about kids. Um, lately, it's been about how there's not enough play. 
and mm-hmm. kids are becoming dulled by it or they're becoming weak or terrified or anxious and depressed because they're not given these opportunities to experience right. risk and or, argue over goals and trip over cones and stuff yeah. like that. Or they're playing games with rules that they didn't choose, right? Video games where it's you sure. know, some corporate entity decided on yeah. all the rules. Yeah. And I think one, you know, one of the beautiful things when you watch kids playing, mm-hmm. you know, back in the old days sure. when we used to go outside after dinner and just stay out till dark, yeah. we would make up games, we would make up rules. Sure. You know, then you think of play, like, oh, let's go down to the tire swing or let's sure. play tag through the neighborhood. So th- there's a link there between play and creativity, which is something I want to stick a pin in and come back to, definitely. Mm. Like the, the real play, really good play, actually becomes creative almost automatically, right? As opposed to, it, even if there are rigid rules around the game, right? You can play Ultimate Frisbee creatively and yes. you can play it by the numbers, right? Yes. You can do certain runs and plays, right? So, this is why I don't really like American football very much. I can't, I can't watch it because it, to me, it's like a very strategic chess game with advertisements stopping the game every five minutes, right? <laughs> but it's like, and I can see there's beauty to it and there's probably creativity and there's almost certainly a lot of creativity in the play that I can't see. But for the most part, it's almost like a like military maneuvers, right? You have a coach or somebody who's, or quarterback, I guess, who calls the play, right? And then they all run a thing and they try and outfox the other team by making a play that they can't see or something like that. And there, there is creativity in that and when to apply it, but it's still, it's a lot of paint by numbers to me. And it's nowhere near as fascinating to me as watching something a lot more freeform, right? Um, yeah, I remember one of the saddest sports days I ever had was watching the uh, World Cup, the soccer, football mm. World Cup, the one two ago when yeah. Brazil played Germany. Yeah. And Brazil were these beautiful artists sure. and, yeah. Ger- and Germans were just playing this very, very disciplined thing sure. and they crushed yeah. Brazil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely. like embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. To the point where like, oh, okay, so on the professional stage where, where mm. millions of dollars are at stake, mm. we're, you know, militarism defeats dance. Sometimes it does, but yeah, Brazil have won the World Cup a lot more times than Germany have. And Germany have always played this, uh, a very rigid game for the most part. Well, that's an oversimplification too, but I won't get into that. There's, yeah. there's a lot of creative play within that. But, um, but anyway, coming back to this idea of kids and play and that kind of stuff, right? It's, it's been pretty much... Um, it's pretty well established that play in kids um, is how they learn about the world, right? And it's, it's literally a trial and error process in which they have little mock battles and not just physical ones. It's not just how they learn how to fight and squabble physically. It's how they learn empathy. It's like how they learn to put themselves in somebody else's shoes. Like, oh, you're crying because you lost or you're crying because you, you're getting angry or something like that. And so it builds these social skills that are difficult to get from other places. Right. And it, it just gives you exposure to a lot of different potential scenarios that are kind of heated or emotional. And then you get a chance to play that out on your own. If adults don't intervene every yeah. single five seconds and try and sort out the problem for you. And the kids playing lets them to do that. And it famously helps kids learn cooperation, especially in team sports. And they're normally kind of push forwards like teamwork is better. Soccer is better. Fo- you know, football is better. Baseball is better because it's a team sport and everybody has to work together. I think that's also debatable because you can play a team game as if you're one person, right? You can try and just be the star football, yeah, footballer who hogs the ball the whole time. You can be yeah. the baseball player who doesn't give a crap about anybody else, you know, that kind of thing. But team sport as a whole, playing team sports gives you this idea that I can't win the game on my own. I'm going to have to depend on other people. So there's an aspect of cooperation that's built into that. And if you never played those games, if all you ever did was one player video games, you would never have to learn that lesson or those lessons. Kind of makes sense? Yeah. So yeah. There's, there's I, th- yeah. I, I, I think that there's much higher levels than team sports. I do as well. Of, of play. Sure. To, yeah. te- to teach uh, cooperation. Yeah. I'm talking, talking about like condition, uh, like traditionally, here's mm-hmm. what, you know, people, I, I would say these things that I'm saying now are pretty well established and yeah. everybody okay. believes them. And there's to the point where they're not even worth talking about, right? We know that play builds social skills because kids have to be in groups. And whenever kids are in groups, they argue, right? <laughs> so they have to figure out how to get around that. And um, we know that it builds cooperation because again they're in groups and they have to play together in some way right um and we know that it builds confidence and for much the same reason it's just social interaction right and they're just being put in situations outdoors moving around there's a potential for losing this potential for embarrassment and if they put themselves out there on that physical stage as it were then they're going to learn to be more confident probably right either that or they'll just the crucible will crush them and they'll hate every sport and game and they'll shrink into a shadow of them for for themselves right but this is kind of the established things that we know that it kind of can do for kids but more recently there's been a lot more deeper research in neuroscience that's shown that that's not all it does it's not just these blanket characteristics that play is actually how the 
how kids learn to interact with the world as a whole. And it has an enormous amount to do with brain development um, and kind of new neural pathways, seeing new possibilities. And then it builds creativity and then it builds a whole bunch of different skills that we never even thought about before. As quite aside from the fact that especially very, very physical play involving kind of three-dimensional movement and outside gives you this kind of mix of stimuli and mix of... Um, mix of pressures um, that you, your body and your brain have to adapt to and your brain has to grow in order to build the new movement capacity into your muscles, right? Mm -hmm. For example, you can play darts, like the British sport where overweight men typically hold a pint with one hand, mm -hmm. sip from it while they throw a small missile uh, aboard, right? And, and you can get extraordinarily good at that repetitive motion, right? Without having to really get good at anything else, right? I wouldn't say the skill, the playing the game of darts trans translates to anything else, except maybe concentration. Maybe there's like a Zen element to it, Right? If you can stare at the, the triple 20 on the dartboard for long enough, <laughs> long enough to hit it every single time and have people coughing and drinking and smoking all around you and still hit that triple 20, then probably you've learned an aspect of Zen like focus and concentration akin to archery, right? Yeah. That you might get from that, right? But you're not learning a lot of other transferable body skills or transferable thought patterns or cognitive abilities from doing that, right? right. Um, like if you switched your, your, your cup and your dart, you probably wouldn't you'd be buggered. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, even change the distance or any number of things like that, right? Um, whereas if you play like lacrosse or your um, like water polo, right? Or mm -hmm. judo, right? Um, the whole thing is three-dimensional. The whole thing forces you to adapt to your body, to orient to gravity, to orient yourself to other people, to make predictions about where other people are going to be. Like the dartboard doesn't move. Right, but um, your lacrosse opponents will, your judo opponents' feet will move when you try and sweep them. Right, so there's a whole bunch of different calculations and inputs and filtering of information that's that's just built into complex play. Um, that without doing those things, we just wouldn't be exposed to. And it's almost without doubt now that growing those brain areas allows you more capacity to think in different ways, right? And once you've grown those areas to adapt for physical movements outside the body, then you've built the capacity and the wiring and the interconnectivity that it's, it's possible to do more creative things internally, like internal movements. Kind of make sense? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of growing out now. So there's all this stuff about how kids have to play physically, ideally outdoors and in complex ways and in ways that they lead themselves, right? Not necessarily rigid stuff in order to get these benefits. Um, but I think there's still this stigma attached to it with adults in which people are like, okay, well, that's how kids learn and grow. But like once you're done growing, once you're like 25 and your body's about as strong as it's ever going to get and you're as lithe as you're ever going to be and as agile as you're probably ever going to be, you'll be retired as a gymnast in five years, for example, right, or something like that, then probably that's when you should stop playing. And if you keep doing it, you're just trying to maintain your youth in some sad way. Do you know what I mean? There's still, I'm not, I'm not saying this is explicit, but this is kind of the overtone that you get sometimes. Well, right? well certainly. So people go to watching sport instead and talking about yeah. sport instead of actually doing it, right? Well, yeah, as a, as, a, as a school teacher in a small school where we could, I could participate in all of the classes in, yeah. in different levels. One thing that we would see is you could tell what, what grade you were in by how many toys were missing. Mm. Okay. <laughs> in kindergarten, there was trucks. Yeah. Right? First grade, there's blocks. Yeah. Second grade, there's math manipulatives. Mm. By, by fifth grade, there's no more toys. Sure. Yeah, yeah. You know, maybe there's, a car, there's some art supplies, but then when you yeah. get to college, there's no more art supplies. Mm. Yeah. Right? So I think you know, what you said was, yeah, as soon as you're done growing, you can stop playing. Mm. <laughs> but let's, but like growing is more than just your physicality. Sure. And, and arguably playing is how you continue to learn throughout life. Right. And we, and we cast it off at our peril. And I think a lot of what's going on in schools that's been lamented yeah. lots of places elsewhere. So I won't go on about it. The whole idea that you even take away not just the materials, but the time allocated to play. Like, Oh, we're falling behind China in math. So the way to get around this is we just cut their recess. And then we have them study math before and after school, and then they'll get better at it. And what's happening is, no, they don't. They actually get terrible at it because they learn to despise school. They're not building the brain capacity through doing the play that allows them to absorb math no. quicker. They haven't got the physical so, relationships yeah. between things, and it's actually working way worse. So now there's this rebounding movement where they're trying to push play back into schools. They're trying to push outside time. I mean, my son goes to a Montessori school where they have three recess breaks per day. 
three half hour periods outside and that's unheard of mm. in like public schools or even like most of the other magnet ones around here and that's one of the reasons why he's there and he's he's picking up math like a beast he can do like multiplication and carry numbers in his head he's six years old right he's not learning times tables like we did at school like some boring recitation of things so that you can just spurt it out again he's actually understanding it from the ground up and I don't know how long that, that methodology will last and um, push him into great yeah. stuff but for now I couldn't be more overjoyed with the emphasis on get outside kid get outside learn run play around every day he comes home with scrapes every day he has some story about how some kid didn't like doing this on the playground he cried and then we talked about it and blah 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 I'm like this is learning It's a brand new year at NC Sistema. All our classes are being held at our regular venue at 4815B Hillsboro Road in Durham, North Carolina. We're in the building behind the Triangle Music School on the junction of Hillsboro Road and Benrose Circle. In addition to our many martial arts classes, we've also added breathwork and strength and conditioning classes to the schedule this year. Visit ncsystema.com and view the new class schedule. Remember, there's a free trial class available for all new students. Book yours today. Can I toss in two parts of the, for the definition of play that I think are really important? Please do, because mom is woefully inadequate. <laughs> <laughs> One is um, curiosity. Yeah. The play has to, has to be about exploration. Does it though? Because you don't have to explore when you're playing a super competitive. Well, then, that, game. then, then that's not play. That's not real play. Right? That's like, well, I think okay, what, sure. what I want to talk with the way I want to divide this up. You want to subdefine it. Yeah. I want to. I want to define play as an attitude towards life. Nice. Because okay. I, I think I play in my office all the time. Sure. Yeah. And um, the, so one is curious exploration, and the yeah. other is disattachment from outcome. Right. Like I like I'm playing for its own sake. Yep. So, you know, like there's a little bit of a, a paradox there. Like, what are we going to get kids to play so that they do better in math? Like, mm, yeah, yeah, it will happen. Yeah. But like so many things, like when you, you do it for its own sake, yeah. it has lots of other benefits. But the minute you start focusing on those other benefits, yeah. you know, it's like, I can't remember. I think it was John Holt who wrote books on education saying, yeah. are, you, are you saying this little piggy went to market or are you engaging in tactile stimulation of the digital phalanges <laughs> to increase your child's, um, you know, yeah. socio- yeah. 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 Right, so yeah. that there's, that we're not doing it for the sake of anything other than yeah. the, the experience and the relationships themselves. Right. Yeah, and I think there's probably some, yeah, that's, I think that would be a really good definition of pure play, right? And I think there are probably gradations where you can have like a stealth motive in mind and you can design the parameters so that the type of game that they play will probably lead them towards something. But I think you're right in saying that if you if you, you make that too explicit, if you force it, if you're like, we're going to play a math game now, right? Then kids are like, oh, that's not really a game. You know? <laughs> and then already you've kind of torpedoed yourself before you've even started, right? You, you, yeah. you've, you've brought in this aspect of like, well, it's important. If I'm trying to learn something that I'm not really trying to play, right? Well, and, I was yeah. talking with an educator once. This was, he was like, you know, active in the 60s and 70s when, when these yeah. ideas were floating around education sort of. sure. and so he had um, he wanted to teach world geography so they they took the blacktop and they painted a world map on it mm. and they had gave all the kids roller skates he said mm. at the end of the year all the kids didn't had a roller skate none of them knew where France was <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, well partial success then that's good. That's not good. yeah I mean when I think about it from my own my own experience right so you, you hear these stories a lot of the time about kids who grow up super jockey, right? And they're, they're, they're just encouraged to play sports all the time. And then they're like the sporty types. And then they, they don't really like studying a lot of the time or reading because they just spend all their time playing baseball or football or something, right? Um, and then that's their thing. And they're that type of person. They're athletic people, right? And then you have this other stereotype of people who didn't fit in well with the jocks at school. They didn't succeed at the team sports that people played at school. And then they, they're kind of bookish and nerdy and they're, they're on the sidelines and they don't enjoy sport. And then they convince themselves that they're not athletic people, right? And it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Now, you must meet people in your field, right, in health, where you're trying to convince people to run, for example, or right. you're trying to convince people to take up maybe some other physical pastime that they enjoy. Or, maybe just, other than or just walk. Yeah, right, or anything like that. Um, but you must be working with people who 
almost self de- self describe themselves in that latter category. Like I've never been a physical person, right? right. And it drives me crazy when people say this because I'm like, there are people with no arms and no legs, right? Yeah. <laughs> who learn to wrestle and do other stuff like that. Who are like, I'm. You're a physical person if you have a body and you are not. You're corporeal, right? right. You're a physical person by definition. It's just a question of how you want to use your body and how it's going to work, right? Um, so you're limited only really by your mindset and that thing. And I'm inspired by people with disabilities who play to a far greater extent than I can, right? That reminds me that I'm just being lazy, right? When I say stuff like, oh, I can't do that. My knees are gone. I'm 40. It's like, don't be ridiculous. Right? <laughs> this guy has no knees. He's better than me. Yeah. <laughs> a jujitsu. Do you know what I mean? Where it's going to be, right? Yeah, there, so, was, a, there yeah. was a guy in my 50K who uh, mm. was a serviceman blinded in Iraq. Right. He ran a 50K. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you must come across people. So, so what do you do? to try and pull them out of that mindset and get them into be like, no, you can play this game. This is also for you. If they're so, because I think sometimes our experience, almost like childhood trauma, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's almost like an, some, pe- some people have had these horrible gym teachers that shout and swear at them and tell them they're fat and stupid and can, haven't got any coordination. And they believe that for yeah. their whole lives. And yeah. it's so hard to pull them out of it because yeah. it's been set there like a psychological depth charge. You know, it's like, what, what do you do yeah. to get around that? That idea that, some, that you can't play or you can't do things. So two things are coming to mind. One, yeah. one is I learned to juggle in my early 20s. And I just, and this was based on um, reading a book by Michael Gelb called, I think it was called Body Learning. Mm. It was before he became like a famous, you know, guru to AT&T and, and okay. you know, all his, all that stuff. But this is where he started. It was, and he's a practitioner of Alexander Technique. Right. Mm. And he points out. I'm sitting up straight and I've said that. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'm going to start singing now. <laughs> um, the, the problem with, the problem with people juggling or thinking they couldn't juggle. Mm. And people see like, they think they can't catch. Like, oh, I, I couldn't catch. Yeah. Is what, when he threw it to them, he would see them do a whole bunch of actions. Yeah, that had to that were completely inappropriate. Like if you hold your hand out and I throw the ball well, mm. or the, the beanbag, it will land in your hand. Sure. You could be yeah. asleep, yeah, blindfolded, and it would land in your hand. But if mm. I throw it and you're awake and you're and you have agency, you'll sure. pull your hand away. You'll flinch. Mm. So that a lot of um, getting people to become physical is just getting them to Stop in, reacting. to inhibit mm. their yeah. their their. Useless reactions. Obvious parallels with Sistema here, right? Vlad talks about it all the time. He says sometimes he'll look at a group of people in the class and he goes, guys, guys, stop. You are too busy to work. You know, you're, you're so keen to get do something with your hands and your feet that you, you're not actually doing, what, doing what's appropriate. You know, like you're not doing the thing that you need to do. Like your hands are just kind of flailing, right? And yeah. removing wasted motions is largely what Sistema's about at the upper levels, right? But, yeah. So one thing we would do is give people like nylon scarves to juggle, mm. okay. which, would go, which were, you know, they're pretty, they're different colors and they would float real slow. So mm. just giving people a sense of, oh, wow, like I can do this pretty thing mm. with my body. Yeah. I can be graceful here. So like a, a stepping stone, just kind of showing them the, the, the beginnings of the possibilities of it. Okay. Yeah. So is that how you get people into running? Where, like, I mean, you just had a book that's come out. Well, it's bestseller, right? Right now, Sick to Fit, where literally mm-hmm. you're giving examples of people who have gone from being 350 pounds to ultramarathons, yeah. right? So the path from 350 pounds to ultramarathon presumably isn't step up to the starting line fatty because right? yeah. that's that result in the coronary right? Sure. pretty much right it's you get them walking first or you get them doing some some sort of distance walking or yeah. walk, walking well, and jogging well you know it's whatever wherever people are at mm. um, I mean well, you know Josh my co-author went from 420 pounds to 190 pound ultra runner champion yeah. mm. and like, he, he was talking about like he started walking outside because the the treadmill motor kept burning out because he was too fat. <laughs> as soon yeah. as he went above like three miles an hour, five yeah. miles an hour, you know, it yeah. would start smelling. He said, and you know, the gym owner says, you know, the trick is to keep it under five miles an hour. Like, no, the trick is to get it better. But you know, they said, well, yeah. now I have to go, if I want to get my cardio in, I have to go mm. walk. And he would, he would like, he, you know, he had like map my run or something. Mm. And he was starting to play games with the numbers. Like, mm. oh, I wonder if I can do this mile mm. three seconds faster today. Yeah. And he, his first miles were like 22 minutes. Yeah. And then 16 and then 12. Yeah. And he remembers sure. all these. And his, his fastest mile was like 539. Okay. And he's like, you know, when I did that mile, I remembered mm. the... The, the 400 pound guy yeah who <laughs> took 22 minutes to do it like, so, yeah, it was, yeah you know his, his boobs are flapping and, yeah. and uh, all sorts of unpleasantness yeah um, but he but but that guy yeah. made a game out of it for himself okay yeah so okay so he's gamifying the activity even when there was no play there almost right he's just like he's starting to play a game with himself like as he went yeah along. like can I, could I yeah. run to that lamppost yeah 
Um, gotcha. Okay, so that's that's an interesting one because the people have talked about gamification as well, like in work, like we touched mm-hmm. on a little bit earlier on. And uh, recently, I did like a, I went to some trade show or something like that where I was working my stress proof courses, and it was a uh, Red Hat, the big um, programmers, right? Yeah. The place down in. Um, I'm still not 100% sure of what they actually do there. Do you know what I mean? I know it's some aspect of like program platforms. Yeah, I think they, that, they yeah. make Linux easy for people. Okay, yeah, pretty something much. Yeah. Like, yeah, they, like they put Linux in boxes so they can do things with it. Yeah. Um, but he anyway, so I went there and, uh, and their offices, it was kind of like Google or something. It's like super beautiful offices. Obviously, like tens of millions have been paid on doing this whole building up. It's like a big skyscraper in downtown Raleigh, North Carolina, right? Overlooks the whole city now, right? And, but there's also like ping pong tables and like these little, and like pinball machines and, you know, places where employees are encouraged to like, not just take time off, but like, hey, play a game. And, it's, and the idea is that that kind of thing, like providing these opportunities for play throughout the day actually makes people more creative or at least makes them more likely to want to come to work and not just work from home, I guess, or something like that. And, and I think some of the jury might still be out on how effective that is, like in in actually stimulating creativity that doesn't relate to ping pong. You know, yeah. Yeah, are I, they going to go back yeah. in their program really well because they played ping pong? I don't know. But well, it's, they'll, yeah. they'll, you know, they'll have some more oxygen, oxygen, carbon dioxide exchange. Sure. You know, certainly on a physical level, go yeah. moving and taking a walk will, will right. help their cognitive so, so, yeah, so it might be like a secondary effect of the play. It might not be that type of play as ideal. Oh. But it's been, um, but in terms of benefits to adults, Right. And in terms of some of the research that's been done on what play does for adults in psychology and in neuroscience, it's been kind of shown that obviously it reduces stress, right? If you're having a good time, if you feel like you're not under threat and you're doing something pro social with other people, then that flicks your neurology into that state, right? In, the, right. in terms stay, of your limits. Right. Stay in play instead of fight or flight. Exactly. Yeah. So that automatically, aside from the endorphins that are released just by exercising, which you would arguably get running whether or not you were playing or something, right? You can get endorphins mm-hmm. from almost any thing that you vaguely enjoy or is physical, right? So that's, I think that's oversubscribed as, as, a, as an answer for things. But quite aside from that, it, it puts you into that social engagement um, system, right? Where you, where you actively feel like you are safe and this is good and you're doing good things as, a, as opposed to the shutdown and hide or the fight and flight. Like I'm with these people, but I'm fighting them. Do you know what I mean? And that's where sometimes I think the crossover in play for its own sake and play that becomes no fun at all and you're not getting as much benefit from, right? When it's so hard that it's like, oh, I'm going to kill this team. I'm going to kill this guy. Kill the ball, kill the player, right? So you're no longer in that state anymore. Now you're in a fight or flight state. And there's maybe some arguable benefits to being in that for bits and pieces of time and that kind of stuff, but it's not the same thing. And it doesn't bring the same benefits. And the other ones, if we're keeping it in pure play again, is the idea that uh, play improves brain function. And there's like obvious ones, like old people are encouraged to play chess or do crossword puzzles because it kind of helps with memory and just kind of tasks and in a general kind of sense it correlates with like less movement into dementia and some of the you know yeah. some of the, the markers well, for I, would that, say, but I would say chess and crossword puzzles are very different the, yeah mm-hmm. yeah true mm-hmm. but there's also I think a lot of the research on those also says that it makes old people better at chess and crossword puzzles but it doesn't necessarily translate to other cognitive mm-hmm. abilities it just leaves you enough gray matter to do those things which in turn might actually right. protect you against memory de- decline and other things right, right? Well, some, some of the research I've seen is like there's a real difference between like Sudoku which is like okay. a crossword puzzle yeah. and something like bridge Okay. Right. So I'm thinking chess is more social. Like it's sure. social. Like sure. chess yeah. on a computer is not the same as sitting down sure. yeah, next yeah. to next to a person and, and yeah. engaging with them. Okay. Yeah. So that social aspect is an important part of play, right? You can play by yourself, but it's not as much fun. We all know this <laughs> in other contexts. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But I mean, I'm thinking about like I, I did improv for a while. Yeah. And we've had, we've come across people who's like, oh, I couldn't do improv. Mm. Like really. What did you just do? Like you mm. made a sentence that you didn't read from a book. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like realizing that life is is improv. Yeah. And and how can you be playful? Mm. You know, just by, be exploratory. Yeah. Because you know, and, and so it was, yeah, if, if it's fight or flight, if you're trying to defend yourself against mm. something, if you're in a company where yeah. they've gamified everything, but the bottom twenty percent get fired every year. Yeah. <laughs> that's different than. You know, there's this uh, wonderful book called The Great Game of Business that mm. introduced a concept called open book management, mm. which is basically like you as an employee should understand how the company wins and mm. how you contribute to that. 
okay. as, as opposed to like someone on the football line mm. who's just told, just knock over those two guys. Mm. And he's never told, this is how we score touchdowns and this is how we win games. Right. Okay. right? Because most people in most companies don't understand the business. Okay. They're just doing their little thing. So they're just expected to do their little corner instead yeah. of yeah, seeing how it commits to, the whole thing. Right. As opposed to like, oh, it's terrifying to like tell everybody in the company, this is our profit margins. This is you know mm. how much money people make. This is how sure. much our shareholders get. It's a lot of transparency. It's transparency. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and education so yeah. that I understand, but also like, let's, okay, so let's make a game. Mm. If, if our big win is how many one year re- repeating contracts we get, mm. then how am I contributing to that? Let's celebrate our wins. Let's keep track of it on a scoreboard. Sure. Like we don't need to gamify and we don't need to, to get people to like play ping pong yeah. if their work is playful, if they can... That's funny. I've got um, I've got a friend, a colleague who's also trained system a little bit, um, who's a dentist in Raleigh, and he owns a big dental practice. And a couple of weeks ago, he um, took his entire staff out to see Jumbo, Justin Timberlake at like the PNC Theater in Raleigh or something. So it's huge, and it's probably about sixty thousand dollars to take his whole staff in a box and go there. And my wife actually got to go there to spare a ticket and gave it to her. So she's like, whoa, this is awesome. But she couldn't believe that this whole staff was there. And uh, I talked to him about it. He's like, yeah, they paid for that. It was, um, we set goals at the start of the year and as hygienists and dental, you know, cleaners and, and uh, other dentists as well working under him, they were like, well, if we get this many extra accounts or cleanings or treatments in per year and that sort of stuff, you can recommend things and you can, he has specifically like a program where you pay 200 bucks for a year and that covers like two cleanings. Right. So instead of them chasing people down every six months, I'm like, you really should come in for a cleaning. They're kind of, they've already paid and I'm on this. Right. So that it commits me to showing up because I'm like, well, those are free. Right. And then if they find something, obviously they'll do fillings and they'll probably get more money out of that. But it's also good for your health. So it works better for everybody if you sure. get people to do it. It's like a nudge type thing. Right. Um, the more of those they flog for, for new people, then the more it will go into this fund. And he's like, okay, well, if we get X number of new things, then you've made 60 grand. What would you like to do with that? Last year, they went on a cruise. They went to like, you know, the Caribbean with all of them. This year, they went to Justin Timberlake and they picked the thing as well. Uh-huh. They're like, you've done it. So he's kind of gamified that and his stuff are all fired up about it. Like, what's the thing we're going to do now? Like, next quarter or next six months, what are you doing? So there's, he's, that, again, you say it's naturally come out of there. He hasn't got ping pong tables in the surgery that they're playing between <laughs> dental mm-hmm. cleanings, but they Made a, they've made play out of that whole right. and I'll situation. Bet and I'll bet there's a difference in effectiveness between the person who's constantly thinking about the cruise or the or the Timberlake sure. concert yeah. versus the person who's like, boy, how can I win this? Yeah. How can I how can I get this person like yeah. just in this momentary interaction? Like sure. the more you know, the more you don't care about the outcome. Yeah. You know, I've I've seen this in sales all the time. Like when, sure. whenever I care about winning the sale, yeah, I go it goes terribly. When yeah. when I when I honestly don't care, and I was like, let's let's explore whether this is right for you. Yeah, then it's uh, it's much more likely that I'll get the account. So here's where finally I think we're going to start to tie it back in a more concrete way to Sistema. Um, is that this is often said, right? People say this all the time in the circle afterwards. They're like, well, you know, I was just starting to get it, and then as soon as I started trying to do it, it eluded me. Right. There was this new thing. I was trying to get some way of controlling somebody or finding distance or striking. Um, and then as soon as I tried to do the thing, it got away. And I think that's a direct consequence of this mindset shift, right? Mm-hmm. That when you go into Sistema, maybe the beginning, you'll do the work, you'll relax yourself, you do some push-ups, roll around a little bit, whatever it's going to be. And then for that first part of the class, whether it's the first quarter, the first half, depending on how well you emptied yourself out and kind of cleaned the mental slate before you came in. And you're in an exploratory phase, right? You're like, I'm here in class. I'm open to what the instructor's saying. I'm just here to kind of go through the drills, right? And explore what's going to come out of the drills. You don't normally go into the first drill in Sistema like, I'm going to win this. I'm going to beat this guy at pushing. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, usually at the beginning, you're just kind of like, oh, this is good. This is washing over me. I'm just going to let it come down. I'm going to do whatever's going to be necessary to just get through this, right? You trust the system and you're playing within those parameters while you're doing that, right? And the instructor can help or hinder with this depending on the way that he sets it up and key phrasing that he uses when he says to start the game or to start the drill, whatever it's gonna be, right? Um, But at a certain point, when you start working specifically on like very specific things, like if you get too techniquey and you're like, I wanna get into a position where I control the elbow in this specific way and so he can't get out and I can snap it, right? And it starts to look more like jujitsu or something, right? Um, Or it looks like a specific boxing counter. Like when he hits, you have to move this way and then you're gonna throw a left followed by right, you know, right hook. As soon as people get too specific an outcome in mind, right? As soon as the outcome gets so defined that it's like, well, either I did that thing and it looked good 
and it worked or I didn't, then they start to project forward in time with their minds. They start to think, well, my goal is to move, do the left and then the right hook, or my mm. goal is to get into this position where I get a shoulder and he's trapped. Um, and as soon as they do that, not only do they leave the present, right? So their minds are just thinking about the outcome and they're not in the present where you're sensing, feeling and, and reacting to what the person's doing, right? Which leaves you woefully unable to adapt in the moment and probably less likely to get that outcome that you want, right? So the outcome fixation, the target fixation is one aspect, but also that, that aspect of exploration, exploration is gone. There's only one outcome now. You're not exploring how to get to that arm lock. Mm -hmm. you, you're going to that arm lock and that's what you're doing. You're not exploring how to punch the guy in the face or control distance anymore. You're exploring, you're trying to perform now, right? And as soon as that mindset switch is there and you're trying to do something specific with your body, arguably you're not really doing system anymore. And that's not to say that you can't explore techniques and what's around them and positions and things like that. But if in doing so, your main goal is, I'm gonna do this as crisply and as perfectly as possible, then probably that mindset switch is gonna stop you from getting there, right? And you, even if you're trying to practice a movement or a technique or a position or something like that, you still have to have this idea in your head that eh, it doesn't really matter if I don't get it, mm -hmm. right? Or if he moves, uh, I might have to move in a slightly different way to try and get it from a different position, right? It's the mindset, it's that idea that we're playing here. Like you're already limiting, we've already created a game if we're, if we're doing that thing where you're feeding me right hooks to the face or you're feeding me jabs to the face and I'm moving and then trying to hit you back with a couple of different things you've already agreed not to kick me in the balls right that's already one parameter you've agreed not to stab me during this drill right so right. we've already limited we've already put parameters on the interaction so it's already a game right it's not combat and yet sometimes I think people are like this is serious this is combat and I have to do, treat it like it's life or death now and in doing so they've robbed themselves of that mindset and they rob themselves of the ability to learn in that space, mm -hmm. right? But, yeah. Uh, our friend Peter Bregman talks about the distinction between performance and experience. Yeah. That are you, you know, and he talks about this with like people, you know, CEOs of giant companies who are going to give the shareholder speech. Yeah. It's like, is this going to be a performance or an experience? And so the minute yeah. we have an audience in mind, whether mm -hmm. it's some outside audience or usually ourselves, yeah. like I have to watch myself succeed here. Mm then we, we, we lose the, most of the input channels because yeah. we're, we're just focused on how we perceive ourselves to be perceived. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And there's a huge, um, I think there's a huge danger in this, for, especially for instructors of Sistema, and this has been commented on a lot by the um, you know, senior instructors, that there's a danger in becoming like an authority or a semi-authority and that mm -hmm. you, start, you look at it as more of a performance and you don't take so many risks and all that kind of stuff. And people that I see that are really great, like, um, like Emmanuel Manolakakis, like Martin Wheeler, um, like Vlad himself, right? They're not that worried about showing off what they can do. They're playing mm -hmm. and sometimes they get hit and sometimes they, and they're constantly looking for new and different ways to approach the same problem. They're not just repeating the same thing in, in order to show you how they can put people down. They're constantly just kind of exploring and playing around. Like, mm -hmm. and, and Manny reminded me of this, I, I think, in a, just with his presence, with the way that he interacted with people last, um, last weekend in the seminar. And also overtly, he's like, you guys need to play more, right? <laughs> you need to do this. And there's another aspect as well, is that, is that we, can, we can create the situation, we can create the parameters in which people can learn that way. Um, and we can hand it to people so that in, in creating the boundaries for the drill and the way that we describe it in such a way that they're likely to play it that way, right? And they're likely to learn that way. Or we can equally make it competitive just with a few key words, like mm -hmm. see who's better or something like that, right? As soon as you say that, it can be like a playful see who's better or it can be like, I'm going to be better, right? And again, the outcome comes into it right away. So there was a, yeah. when I was working with Peter, there was a great yeah. exercise we used to do yeah. where we, people would be sitting around around tables and he'd say, okay, turn, turn to a partner and put your hands together in arm wrestle position. Yeah. And he says, now here's the game. We're going to, you get um, pretend money, $20 yeah. every time your opponent's hand touches the table. Every time your partner's hand touches the table. Okay, yeah. And so immediately, almost everyone is yeah. like locked into this, except if it's like a oh, big guy and a small yeah. woman. Yeah. But then eventually some people start like, 
going back and forth with their hands like cooperatively because okay, the words yeah. he used were partner yeah yeah and you know never a you know partner and right. put your hands in arm wrestle position sure some people were like you know just like like without even trying to go back and forth because they recognize that's amazing yeah so like right, right, right. fat cash out of this one yeah, yeah. so even you know it's, it's yeah. like even the words you're using if if people come in mm. and their uh, their perspective is this is a winner take all yeah then they're not even going to hear all the clues sure. of uh, that this can be cooperative. Yeah, definitely. So you have to coax people into that space, right? You have to, especially if they have a, like a win-lose mentality, then you have to be, is it, we can have a win-win mentality. We can have a win-win here, right? Both people can play this game and you can both win. You can both come out of it stronger. You can both come out of it having learned something about how to move. You can both come out of it having even built some like connection between you as well, right? Um, and that's another key thing as well. It's like you can play the game in other ways and you can you can study martial arts as if it's like a pure contest and you that every minute of every part of training, you're trying to prove to the other guy that you're stronger, faster, better than he is, right? You can do that, but you've... In doing so, you've really lost something in Sistema, which is also that that sense of connection that we get with people and that sense of camaraderie, like we're all in this together, right? And we're all doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- that you can find even like in a good boxing place or a good MMA place. People, you know, they're all in the same, same kind of camp or the same stable, right? They, they spar each other, right? And sparring is a game. You're agreeing not to go too hard, not to hit too hard or, you know, certain targets are off, off target, all that kind of stuff, right? Um, and in doing so, you build trust right and that's a key thing especially if you're doing something that's explicitly dangerous right if, you know if, if i'm allowing you to pl- play a game in which you might choke me right if i don't trust you to let go at a certain point or i don't trust you to choke me properly and not just to drag my crickle cartilage across my neck and leave me permanently disabled right um if we don't have trust we can't kind of play the game and there's another aspect of that right you don't play games with people you don't trust mm-hmm. because you don't trust them to follow the rules so i think it's key that we do things as instructors and as systema trainees when there's new people coming in and we might be more experienced and we're trying to fold them in and they might be nervous it might be their first martial arts class they might feel like they have to perform i find it especially people who come to the system and they've got a background in another martial art like the clean slate people are fine they usually have nothing to prove they're just afraid but people who come from another martial art are desperate to show you that they're not beginners they might be beginners at this but trust me i'm badass in another way right they're the most dangerous of all they're the first ones to get hurt usually or they either hurt themselves or they'll hurt somebody else usually themselves right mm-hmm. and so we need to bear that in mind and be like, I need to create an atmosphere in which he feels comfortable, she feels comfortable, right? Where they feel like they're in a place where there's trust, but then also having built that trust and then given people a space to play and roll around a little bit with no specific outcome and nobody winning or losing, once you've built all that stuff, once you have that trust and once you have that camaraderie and once you have that connection, then you can be like, all right, you trust me enough to swing this as hard as possible at your head and we can play with that, right? And then it becomes, you can work on control and you can work on real life or death stuff. You can go as fast as you want. You can hit each other in the face as hard as you want almost, right? And the more trust you have with somebody and the more you trust their skill, the more you can allow them to work in that way. And that's where the really good stuff happens, mm. right? Um, in some other systems, instead of that, they wear a lot of pads, right? <laughs> or they'll, you know, so that it, you can hit me as hard as you like, or I've got pads on my face, or I'm like, you know, so that it's not going to be that bad. You're not going to concuss me as bad or whatever it's going to be. Or you limit the game in other ways. You're only allowed to hit certain places or do certain things. That's fine too. That's another way of going about it. And that's the way that they go. But we're trying to do something more comprehensive, more holistic that not only builds our ability in as many different adaptive combat situations as possible, right? But also might help us adapt to non-combat related situations and also builds our psychological capacity to stay calm under pressure and all these things that don't come out of that way, don't come without that trust, right? That you have to mm-hmm. put a lot of trust in somebody before you let them take you to the kinds of places that we go in Sistema. And I think that's that's a big thing that's, that's missing when you get rid of that play. And with that trust and with that space that you can play in, you can also find genuine creativity, right? When the limbic system isn't fired up like crazy and you're not just acting and reacting from fear and making a bunch of wasted flinchy motions, then your higher cognitive centers are free to engage and make new connections and play and create, right? And that's when your body starts to create its own movement. And that's really where Sistema lives. Right? It's in the creation of spontaneous, intuitive movement. It's not in the repetition of things that somebody else did. Right. Well, that's, yeah. you know, to me, that's all, that's what learning is, right? Yeah. Like I had a professor very early on who said, look, you always have a choice in my class. You could, you could get an A or you could learn. 
sometimes sometimes they are you know completely uh, isomorphic you know and sometimes mm. you can you know I have students who get A's and really haven't learned anything sure and you know so like Sistema doesn't have doesn't give grades sure right there's yep. no belts yep um, I'm coming back to like to the beginning to you asked me about Ultimate Frisbee the thing I yep. love best about Ultimate Frisbee it was created in the late 60s early 70s it's a very hippie sport mm. and one of the one of the rules is it's called spirit of the game like mm. if you're not playing to have fun and to, to make sure everyone have fun, you're actually breaking the, the primary rule of the game. Right. So there's no referees. Mm -hmm. You call your own fouls. Mm. And so there's no, you can't, you know, there's no place for, for cheating yeah. or for gamesmanship or one-upsmanship. Yeah. Um, that, you know, that I, what I love about Sistema is that there's a spirit to the game. Yeah. Like we are, we are here to make each other better mm. um, on every level. Yeah. That's that's fascinating. So that explains to me why it's a team sport, which is ostensibly competitive, but still manages to keep that spirit. It's because it's it's been built into the game, right? It's been designed by hippies and explicitly <laughs> told like there is a spirit to the game. If you're not yeah, doing this, every, you're not doing it. Every tournament, there'll, um, there'll be spirit of the game. You know, yeah. first place, second place, and then which is the most spirited team? Right. That's that's fantastic. Right. Maybe if you had that in professional soccer, you'd see less people diving, right, <laughs> and other stuff. Because it would be more important. And my dad, you know, my dad used to be a professional soccer player, and he laments the way that it's gone. Right. He's like, now it's all money, and it's. I know people talk about this in American football and baseball as well. It's like there's too much. Money money in the game, right? But what does that mean? It means that people are more dedicated to the money and not losing or winning at all costs than they are to the spirit of the game, playing the game, improving themselves, growing and learning, right? And, and to me, that's the distinction between the mindset that you develop in Sistema and things like it, that, um, that instead of looking at it, all right, there's two outcomes here, there's win or lose, right? Um, instead of being that, it's like, well, there's two outcomes here, either I win or I learn. Right, you know, it's like it's happening the whole time, and actually, win doesn't guarantee that I've learned anything either. Like in the same way that the straight A doesn't guarantee right. it. Right? Sometimes you win because you just repeated something you did before, or you're bigger than the other person, or you got lucky. Right? Luck happens too. Like there's just that. There's just dumb luck. You find yourself in some positions and you'll fall on somebody, or just that you'll dodge the right way by accident because you were looking at something else. Right? Yeah. So you only really learn when you're losing anyway, not in a real, any real tangible way. Right? So having that attitude, being like, I'm not. It's not win lose here. It's mm -hmm. it's all about playing and learning. It's playing and learning, playing and learning the whole time. And then when it comes time to win, right? You will prevail. You'll survive and you'll prevail because you've practiced so much the skills that allow you to thrive in that in that place and adapt and create in those places, right? Um, and this came home to me again last weekend. I just posted a little clip on Facebook of it. Of, uh, somebody shot of me and Manny working very, very fast with knives, mm -hmm. right? Um, and it wasn't like, okay, I'm going to come at you with a stab to the stomach and, you, and now you have to do something with it. That's so kind of... Um, sanitized as a knife drill that after a while you, you just don't really even think about it as a knife you're like well, it's, it's just a, a thing and i just move this way and like all the fear has gone out of it all the reactivity has gone out but instead manny had me working he, he's like be as tricky as you can like slash 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 make five attacks in the space of a second and try and get me right mm -hmm. and then his hands would just shoot out and somehow yeah, find the knife and yeah and then I he did to watch it in the slow motion to understand sure. what he was doing yeah and then he did it back to me i don't know if you saw the first time he was, he was really tricky with a knife and i moved my hands twice following his his hands and he just slashed around my ribs and he was like no no he goes you're thinking he goes you can't you just have to allow your hands to to move right and i just slashed him back he took it away from me and then the second time he did it to me i defended myself perfectly well and he's like there you go see you can do it as soon as you remove him out and i'm like okay and i did it again every time he did it to me i got better and better right um, and it was in the space of seconds literally he cured me of trying to think my way through something that was way too fast to possibly ever be thought through or calculated, right? And so I just had to let my hands do the work and they could do the work. They've been there thousands of times before in different circumstances, right? But if you don't, if you don't experience those things, your hands will never get that ability, right? You'll, you'll try and push it outwards from your brain. It doesn't work the same way. Right. And if you're yeah. not willing to look a fool in yeah. front of all your students, yeah. then you're never going to take the chance. Exactly. hundred percent. Yeah. And then there's one final thing that to, to pop onto this, which is this idea that play keeps you Play is often kind of associated with youngness and youth, right? And this thing we talked about, the stigma of being like, aren't you a bit old for that? Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of sad in that we know that people, adults who are playful, older people who are playful, are some of the people that we respect most of all, right? And my parents, like the example that I had growing up was that my parents play, you know, my dad was a soccer player 
um, professional when he was younger and then he played amateur and Sunday leagues and stuff like that and like until he was about 40 and then his knee problems really started causing problems so he switched to badminton and he and my mum played together mixed doubles and was thrashing people playing badminton and having good fun and when it got too competitive they jumped sports again and my dad started playing golf and then he's now they live in Spain and they're in like the over 70s league and that kind of stuff and they, they win all the trophies their house is just covered in trophies and stuff and where they win all these other things but they do not care at all they don't really care they, my dad is a competitive streak and so does my mum but mostly they they just play for the sheer hell of it they're like well when we stop doing this I will probably get old right and there's a quote by George Bernard Shaw I think to that exact effect which is um, you don't stop playing because you get old you get old because you stop playing mm. right and and that's that makes me think of my parents immediately right that's what keeps them youthful they're, they're both like in their mid-70s right um, and they're and they just don't seem that way they seem like they're 45 or seem like they're 50 to my friends that meet them or people they are just like they're so vivacious in their attitude to life and that comes from this lifelong dedication to play and it almost didn't matter in some ways what the sport is it's just the way that they played the game makes them that way right and um, Vlad has said the same thing about Sistema in um I think it was one of the first podcasts that I did. Maybe it made it in there or maybe it didn't. Um, but he was talking about it in that class that night at HQ that, you know, in Sistema, we're looking for new solutions to things. It's so huge, you can never get your head around it. It's too, especially the martial arts is just, it's just so many different millions of positions that you could be in and millions of different ways that you could adapt. It's almost infinite. And you're playing with that the whole time. You'll never master all of those. And the whole time you're doing that, your brain is growing. It's trying to latch onto new things. And he's like, when you do this, it's like you're a little kid. You're, you're like you're learning a language language and that's happening your whole life and it's it will keep you young for a very very long time and i think he's right i think that's backed up entirely by neuroscience and all these studies that show that you know the more that you actually use your body and your brain the more it will be maintained into old age right that you'll stave off a lot of the effects of neurodegeneration just through that dedication to ongoing play right that that will physically keep you young Right, yes. in the way that you behave. Yes. I just wanted to, to, to drop some uh, Latin etymology. Yeah. The word competition or compete. Yeah. Con together, petere, to seek. Mm. So it's like when, yeah, so your, your dad can be competitive, mm. but it's for the joy of it's coming because, together. It's, it's, because, it's because being competitive is more fun than not being competitive in that scenario. So competition like, is literally coming together to explore then, right? Yeah, yeah, so we yeah. can play, you know, sometimes we play, we go and we play pickup frisbee and we don't keep score. And it's like, well, it's, it was just really fun. But sometimes it's nice to, hmm. like, game to seven. Sure. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Like, it just, it's, it, it doesn't change anything. Yeah. But it, uh, it, it puts another parameter around it. Sure. Absolutely. Um, and, and yeah, so it is, you know, we are, and if I'm competing against you on a more serious level, yeah. you're going to make me better. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? So I'm going to continually look for, people who are better than me yeah. so that I can learn as opposed to I have to, you know, I'm going to be the 4.2 tennis player playing against the 3.9s so yeah. I always win. Absolutely. Well, well, that's beautiful. Nice place to end it. Good All right. Thanks very much, Harry. I'll see you again next time. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about classes, workshops, and seminars at NC Sistema, please visit us online at www.ncsistema.com. Thank you.